Hello everyone and welcome to my podcast. This is um, episode one of my Fan Souts Take One podcast. So I thank you for joining me. And tonight's uh, film that I'm going to talk about is The Unseen. And this is a film from 1980. It's an horror film and it stars Barbara Bark. Is it Batch or Bark? I don't know, but I'm going to call her Bark. Barbara Bark, it sounds more professional. So the setup for this film is um, Barbara's character plays a reporter and she's out of town reporting on a holiday parade and she's took along her sister and her friend and all the motels and hotels are full so as they're driving along the highway they come across this old hotel and it's quite evident that it's uh, not open for business but they go inside anyway and they meet Ernest uh, the owner of the hotel and he tries desperately to help the girls get some accommodation out of town but he's unsuccessful so he um, asks the girls if they want to stay at the farmhouse with him and his sister Virginia Uh, they do agree reluctantly but desperate measures, desperate times and they head off to the farmhouse Uh, but unbeknown to these girls is that the unseen is lurking in the basement, a secret that's being kept by um, Ernest and Virginia. So whatever you do, girls, don't go down in that basement. But they do, and it wouldn't be much of a horror film if they didn't, would it? So, yeah. Uh, let's talk about some of the acting. Um, Barbara is believable as a reporter. She looks the part. She's got the looks. She's she was blessed in the looks department was our Barbara uh, if you're not familiar with her she's um, an ex-Bond girl she played Roger Moore's love interest in uh, 1977's Spy Love Me and that's also the film that star, first starred the villain Jaws uh, so I'd recommend you watch it and if you've not watched a Bond film I'd recommend you watch them all where have you been if you've not watched a Bond film that's what I want to know so yeah get on it um, it's easily my fa- favourite well arguably my favourite Roger Moore entry in the series but I'm going off subject though so <laughs> um, yeah as I said Barbara's really good in it uh, she does what's required of her um, there's only certain things you need in this uh, this kind of film from the 70s and 80s which is look good scream, run away uh, uh, run away with torn claws and look good, you know. <laughs> it's all that kind of stuff. And the two girls who act with her on screen are also good. There's one who's a bit hippie-ish, uh, a bit cocksure, you know, that kind of uh, bubblegum-chewing bubble one. And the other one's a bit um, sheepish. But that one, uh, she gets... <laughs> she gets the... The title of uh, the full nude frontal scene in the film, which is also something that you'd expect from these films from the 70s and 80s. There was a lot of nudity in uh, films around this time. And 
she gets uh, nude around the 20 odd minutes mark so that should please the horror fans who look for that in horror films <laughs> I know there's a lot of people that do um, but I mentioned that scene because uh, that will bring me on to the first standout uh, performance of the film which is um, Ernest and he's played by Sidney Lassick um, he gives like a quite unnerving and maniacal performance and you never know which way he's going to go uh, he's, he's, um, you might know him from One Through the Cuckoo's Nest and Carrie he's a short chubby guy and he looks almost Penfold like you know, a danger mouse and um, know him if you see him. I always get him mistaken for Roy Brocksmith from Arachnophobia, the um, the guy who does the autopsies and he's also the guy from Talk Recall who uh, feeds Arnie a load of lies and then he shoots him in the head. But I know it's not him because he died a lot <laughs> earlier. He died at quite early age, I think he was mid-50s, so I know it's not him. But they do look alike, so yeah. But yeah, back to um, Ernest, he's... Um, I mentioned that scene with a girl editor because it's the first time we get a glimpse into Ernest being a bit of a pervert as he uh, watches her through the keyhole in the bathroom. You know, he does his bit, uh, best uh, Norman Bates impression. And even though he's not as good as Norman Bates, well, who is? Anthony Perkins was awesome in the Psycho series. Uh, it's... Uh, influenced by that you can tell and yeah he's um yeah he's definitely got a very creepy feel about him that's for sure he also gets quite drunk throughout the film uh, in some scenes and he talks to his dead father's corpse and it's evident that he's killed his father I think he killed him by strangling him or stabbing him in the throat um, and I think this is caused by childhood abuse it's the Norman Bates influence again but instead of a mother figure it's the father figure but yeah he's, he is a standout of the film he is he's good and um, yeah, like I said his performance is uh, really erratic uh, but that moves us on to his uh, sister in the film who's uh, called Virginia and she's played by Lelia Goldini. Now, to me, she's the best performer in the film. Um, she gives a sheepish and shy approach and paints a very fragile picture of a woman. Um, and it's odd for me saying this about an horror film but I did find myself caring about the character I almost wondered what made her into the way she was, almost moot-like in some parts. Um, although it's evident throughout the film that uh, she's receiving mental abuse from her brother, and yeah, you, you get the feeling that there's something else there as well. So that's not open the situation. Um, she just comes across as a tormented soul with no means of escape, you know. Does as her brother says, and yeah, I felt sorry for her, and I thought she was very good in it. And I was 
quite eager to learn more about her after this, so I looked her up on IMDb. So hopefully I'll be watching some of her films in the future, and uh, who knows, I might be doing another podcast on her, one of her films, who knows. Um, but yeah, she's easily a standout for me. Um, so let's get on to some of the good bits of the films. Films? <laughs> films, sorry. Uh, the first death scene is uh, quite effective. Um, although we don't see it, it's off camera, but it's uh, running in sync with um, a chicken being beheaded in a barnyard. So we kind of get an inkling as to what happens to the woman. But it reminded me of the opening scene in Jaws, but instead of like being dragged underwater, She's dragged through a hole in the floor in the bedroom like a little small vent grid. And she's beating the ground and screaming and grabbing the um, uh, the bed sheets. I think she even um, runs over to the window at one point and she gets dragged back from there. So, yeah, it's quite similar to that. Also, not, as, um, not as effective as that, of course, but it kind of gives that feel. So, yeah, that was good. And, um, yeah. Another part uh, that really stood out for me was um, when Barbara's character actually goes into the basement finally. And there's a real build up in tension as we get the reveal of the monster or whatever's lurking in the basement. And it's, uh, it's very good, it's very effective. Get a, we also get a nice reveal of um, uh, Barbara finding her dead friend and sister, which I wasn't expecting, so that came as a bit of a surprise as Barbara's climbing up. I think she's climbing up um, some sand or uh, that leads up to some small window in the basement and she uncovers uh, the bodies. But her reaction is like scream queen whatever. She gives her a good bellow. So, yeah. It's very effective, and it kind of, it, is, it does kind of become a cat and mouse film in the final third. Um, you don't really see a lot of Bar. You see her, but you don't really see a lot of her character until like the first last thirty-five minutes. She comes into her own then, and it kind of becomes like um, a cat and mouse pursuit between. Uh, Barbara and different characters in the basement. Um, <laughs> there was one funny part in the basement where we get a shameless um, wet wet t-shirt, not wet t-shirt, wet shirt from Barbara. She tries to, you know, punch her way out of a, a basement door. You know, the ones that farmhouses have in uh, America with the padlocks over and they push up um, she tries to push her way out of that but it's raining outside it's, I think there's a thunderstorm and the water pours all over her and it soaks her to the bone and uh, yeah it doesn't really it doesn't leave too much to the imagination so yeah it's uh, it's one for setting the pulses racing off uh, male and female viewers that's what I mean you've got to look the part you've got to look good in a horror film with uh, Shameless water being poured over you for no reason whatsoever, but yeah, I found that bit quite funny. Um, 
Right, let's get to the monster. Um, he's not what I expected. In fact, I, f- I felt sorry for his character. Um, it wouldn't be very PC nowadays. I mean, people would probably say, oh, you won't get away with that nowadays, but, you know, that kind of um, defeats the object in this film. I mean, I think it's quite effective what they've done. But he's a mentally challenged or mentally disabled man who acts very much like a child. So when you see him and his initial reactions with Barbara's character, you kind of think to yourself, were these deaths accidental from a person who knows no different? Uh, That isn't aware of his brute strength and uh, has no social tendencies whatsoever. Um, Like I said, his first interactions were back. Bark. (laughs) Uh, Are quite lovely. There's definitely a a Neanderthal-like quality to him. And um, you can tell he's just like a child in an adult's body. And I think he was, looking at him, an inspiration for Sloth in the Goonies, which was out in 1985. You can definitely see bits of Sloth in him, that's for sure. Um, Also... Um, totally different character what, uh, altogether Leatherface now Leatherface is terrifying I'm sure a lot of people would agree but he does have childlike tendencies and um, yeah it's, uh, I think Leatherface is uh, disabled in some form as well um, yeah so the performance is by Stephen First and he does a really, really heartfelt and quite, quite emotional to watch performance. And during the last scene, you want him to come out on top against his um, deranged father, who it's quite clear to see by then that is the real monster of the film. Um, but yeah, he's. Um, you can tell the monster has a love for his mother, which is Ernest's sister. And by then you know that he's the creation of a brother and sister having sex. So that's the incest theme. Uh, which is not always uh, one of the best themes to stomach in a film. But there are some really touching moments at the end. So it's arguably the best part of the film, to be fair. Um, I thought the last day, the last scene was well staged. It's um, where Barbara's character is being chased through the mud, and she's collapsed and crawling. So I think she's injured, and Ernest is walking slowly behind her with an axe or a knife. I think it's an axe, and the tension in that's quite good. He could have killed her ten times over by <laughs> until we get to uh, the actual reveal of his sister turning up and shooting him with a shotgun blast uh, in rather cool fashion. By that, I must say, she does it rather coolly and puts it down, and she's got like an expression on her face that says, "There you go, dickhead. I'm not taking any more of your shit." And I thought, "Yeah, go on, girl." So. Yeah, that's quite. It's quite a good scene. 
Um, and it's just like the lighting and the, the sound effects as well, the, the lightning and the storm and the rain, it's, it's really good. Now we've got to the bloody hell moments, and these moments are <laughs> ones that I didn't think uh, did the film any further uh, in terms of me watching it. You might find they did. So, um, the kill scenes in it, um, they aren't very memorable for a horror film, and this is always off point to me. You want the kill scenes to be memorable, uh, you want something to talk about with your friends afterwards. And I know we're not talking about um, the kill scenes like you get nowadays, but there was really good kill scenes in 70s and 80s films for sure. Uh, but I found the build ups were more enthralling than the payoff. Um, apart from Ernest uh, dying at the end, I thought that was quite good. But yeah, I thought the kill scenes could have been more effective, that's for sure. Um, it's also quite a mystery how the killer finds himself under the grids. Uh, I mean, I know he finds himself under the grid in the basement because he's in the basement. But these grids are in the bedrooms as well and in the kitchen. And um, It was the ones that were in the bedroom that were most confusing. I thought, how is he getting about the house? I mean, he's a big hulking figure when you actually see him. And he's not quiet. He runs about in a real childlike manner so I thought is there some kind of special shoot that he's climbing up or you know does he creep around the house like a mouse you know so he's not seen by his brother or heard by his brother who does bully him a bit but yeah I didn't find that a bit believable so I thought that was a bit of a plot that he just magically appeared under the uh, bedroom vents and I thought I just went along with it really because it's uh you do forgive things like in these that, that, like that in these films, but that it is quite nitpicking, really. But yeah, it bothered me during watching it. Um, the music also isn't very memorable. Memorable, sorry. Um, I felt it was quite unsuited and too full on for this type of horror film. I felt it needed more of a subtle approach. Um, I feel I always feel that these films work better with minimal music and with uh, noise effects, you know, like the creaking door and, um, I don't know, the chirping of an animal. Don't know what kind of animal, but one's outside. <laughs> There's not many animals inside, so they can make a, a creepy noise, but yeah, just like, just the general practical effects, uh, sound effects. But it did work, it did work in some scenes, but I just thought that some of the music drowned out the initial impact of the scene, so yeah. But that's what they went with, so there you go. Um, also, I didn't think it really required an incest story. I mean, could it not have been like um, a brother in this uh, basement or another family member? I mean, did it have to be. Uh, son between a brother and a sister I mean there's no clear indication of this until like the final third but um, yeah I just thought it could have been like a, a brother or something which would have been an horrible act in the first place keeping any family member down there but 
I just thought the incest theme just seemed a little out of place and it seems suited to something more like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre um, where you'd think it'd sit right with that family because they're just a family, a bunch of weirdos they are a bunch of weirdos, that family yeah, they were <laughs> they were skin for masks and all that so, yeah just, uh, just didn't sit right with me um I thought the boyfriend bit where he was running to her, Barbara's rescue at the end was very laughable. It was like a really slow motion as well. It was like a bionic man moment. And we find out at the beginning this this uh, boyfriend is recuperating from an accident to do with his legs. It doesn't really go into details, but when he's running towards her at the end, it, the focus is on his legs and uh, <laughs> collapses in a heap in the mud because he's not recuperated uh, long enough so it just seemed pointless and it just looked like it was a, a it was just looked like it just uh, been forced in there to put us off the sense of uh, the reveal of Ernest's sister uh, coming out to shoot him with a shotgun I just thought it was uh, unnecessary and uh, yeah I found it more funny than anything but yeah, look out for the um, the boyfriend who do, who does run towards uh, Barbara. He's it's Douglas Barr from um, the Fall Guy, the TV series with Lee Majors, and uh, it's um, the that he played the guy who um, what was he called now? Oh, Harry Monson. He was Harry Monson, and he played the big dopey sidekick of uh, Fall Guy. So yeah, look out for him. And uh, he also he also had a TV approach as well, TV feel about it. Um, but I felt that faded away uh, after the first quarter of the film, say twenty five minutes. I don't know. It just felt like it was a TV movie, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, TV movies, some some TV movies are excellent, but. It, definitely just went into a different type of film uh, gradually throughout it and yeah I don't know if it's uh, something I noticed with uh, being shot different or the grain on the film or just sound effects being different or music it just it just felt different so I'll look out for that um, but yeah that's all I've got to say on the unseen like I said, you you left to your own devices now. If you want to watch it, or you don't want to watch it. So I hope you do. If I was if I was gonna uh, recommend this film, then I would because I think there's uh, quite a few bits to enjoy from it, and it's definitely better than your average horror film. It's not scary, not scary at all. I mean, it might scare some. Uh, people who don't watch any horror films but yeah there's nothing to fear in this film there's, there's no I don't think there's I don't think there's any blood in it to be honest or if there is it's very minimal um, but like I said I enjoyed it and it's, it's a film you could watch anytime throughout the day to be honest it's just like it has that kind of um, hammer feel to it hammer horror feel so yeah, I'm going to leave you with that 
and uh, I hope you've enjoyed listening Um, and if you've not subscribed please do and I've also got a blog and if you could subscribe to that as well I'd appreciate that and I'd love to uh, talk to you some on though talk to some of you on though if you leave any comments it's always nice to talk to the audience and uh, yeah I shall leave you with that I hope you've enjoyed it Uh, so until then until next time episode 2 I'm not sure what the film will be yet Vance out